Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. The Monster Tiger joined by Forever Buff Ryan Moeller. Ryan, we finally get to talk about a win. It was a struggle there early in the season, but Colorado beats Cal 20 to 13 in overtime. And it, it certainly feels like Mike Sanford has pushed all the right buttons since he got named the interim head coach in Boulder. Oh, yeah. I want to give a goal. <laughs> I know that was. Uh... <laughs> It was, a, it, was a, it was a good day to watch Buffs football and watch some fight. It was some energy out there that I uh, hadn't seen this season. When Mike Sanford took over as interim head coach, he did things like he started playing music at practice again. Uh, he started bringing in guest speakers to try to pump up. Hold the on team. a second. They took music away from practice? For a while, yeah. Okay, carry on. <laughs> The, just the in, environment, the vibe around the program is so much different. They're doing a, a Ralphie Bowl on Sundays now where the guys that didn't play a lot in the game get a chance to get out there and scrimmage. They did uh, a family picnic and all the players got pizzas uh, on Sunday night after their practice. Just a lot of little things that add up to a lot, it feels like. If you don't feel like they care about you or they respect you or listen to what maybe you guys collectively think you need, um, and uh, it can it can weigh on you. It can weigh on you. Now, I would say that what I saw um, on Saturday, like I said, the effort, right? It was there. The drive, it was there. I saw high motors from plenty of people where we had spoken through multiple weeks now. And we're like, I just don't know where it is. Where is it? So, you know, I think you can definitely give a lot of credit to those little things. And, oh, okay, let's tweak it. If we're doing it this way, let's do a 180. Try it the other opposite direction, you know, so you don't want to be operating off that mode of insanity, right? Where you keep doing the same things and expecting different results. And CU made the change after Arizona. And I would say there's a long road ahead of these boys, but to come out and play um, a, a good Cal team, one who earlier in the year had gone and, and given uh, Notre Dame a fight, you know, that was a pretty good game. This wasn't just a lazy opponent. Now, it wasn't USC either, but I think the little things matter and they give you that extra juice that you need. Yeah, you mentioned that you were hanging out with some former buffs this past weekend. It seems like the general consensus is that everybody's kind of on board with Sanford right now, that, that folks really like what he's brought to the program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, first showing out, best case scenario come out with a win, a hard-fought win. I wouldn't necessarily say uh, they won ugly, but there are some old sayings out there that you have to know how to win ugly. Um, and that that basically just means being able to go out there and fight tooth and nail, you know, for every yard, scrapping, fighting. You know, there, there, was, there was plenty of takeaways during this game. There was plenty of pressure. There was a lot of pushing the pile from the line. There, was, there were less drop passes. On the offense, there were more yak yards from the running backs. There were more opportunities given to the quarterbacks, the few of them that did play. Um, And they all put it together for sure. Yeah, they definitely didn't win pretty, that's for sure. But at this point, a win is a win. Uh There's a couple plays in that game that really stood out in the champion center where the position meetings take place and where we do our weekly press conference. There's, there's all these photos of big plays that have taken place. They've already put up a picture of Trevor Woods, critical pass breakup in the end zone and overtime up. I mean, that's a pretty quick turnaround to get that hanging up on the wall already. But yeah, to me that if, if I'm a high school 
secondary coach. I'm showing all my guys that play just a play where most guys probably would have given up on that. And that would have been a touchdown for Cal. We would have been heading to a second overtime as a former defensive player. What was kind of your reaction to, to watching that play out of Trevor Woods? I love to see it. I got the, I got the game pulled up right behind you on this one. <laughs> um, so I can, I always like bringing that stuff back in when we get to talk about this stuff, but you know, no quit, right. That's something that we've preached time in and, and time again. Oh man, I got distracted again. That thing was, it's a good, <laughs> it's a good breakup. I just, you know, you can't stress it enough. And you, like you said, as, as a high school coach, um, and even for the, these young men, we, we've talked about the youth before on this squad. Showing um, extra effort on plays, right? It'll all start coming together. And when you see someone come in and flying in, at the end of the game, it's do or die. Like, like I said, it's the little details. And I wouldn't be surprised if um, that extra effort, you know, couldn't have been there from a lot of the other games. Not, I'm definitely not saying that Trevor Woods doesn't give uh, maximum effort, but you do wonder, right, if they had other little things and, and more team camaraderie or uh, better community around the locker room and that team from the beginning of the season, how many more of those almost plays could have been plays like we saw on Saturday? Um, and, you know, it's like a, a foot race and track, you know, tenths of a second is our feet in the race. So attention to detail and an effort or we're, we're all there. And I do wonder, you know, too, maybe, maybe these guys, you know, with that new life, maybe they had new focus as well um, to be, be better in their fit or their alignment in their assignment that, that gets them a couple inches, half a foot, a foot closer to be able to make those plays. Every inch counts. Um, so that was a big play and uh, they should have that up quick. You know, Brian McGinnis and them in the in the in the football office, they uh they were known for getting them up the day after for us too while we were there. Well, like six years ago, it seems, you know, and I can even feel it too with us talking about this. It's it's uh it's a lot, it's a lot more fun and it's uh you know, it's it raises your spirits for sure. It it does. Did you have any other takeaways from their their victory on Saturday? Yeah, I'd like to, you know, touch on the defensive front um a little bit. I I saw some some changes around there and some moves around there. Um, starting at the very front, Terrence Lang. I think him in certain packages, having him as a, a stand up option to run in to rush in, is uh, a better use of his size and his power. I think that um, some of his explosiveness can can be lost when he gets in his three point stance. So move him out a couple yards and let him get a running start at those guys. I think he's a lot harder to to handle in that position. The, you know, the, the joker position and um, Barnes at nickel, I, I just – I like the speed I was seeing around. And I like the better fit. I think all around it seemed like to me they had a, a better understanding. Maybe they did all along and there just wasn't forces working in there favor beforehand to get some of these guys in the right places. Um, but I've said this before and I'll say it again. You can't make the player fit the scheme. You sometimes have to do the opposite, you know, the inverse, have the scheme fit the player a little better. And and you, you have to use what you got because you know when the Colorado sitting in the bottom of the barrel, um, it's gonna be it's hard to get 
all the all the five stars or all the top recruits, you know. And and but needless to say, that doesn't always mean anything either. You mentioned the joker position. Is that something that a lot of football teams use? I'm starting to see it more and more. It reminds me uh, more of like the buff here uh when i was playing jim levitt basically created the buff backer for you right yeah yeah was that after Derek mccarty went down it was something that had actually been worked on before it's really more of a a a base package with an extra with that extra db out there that but can also double right as that linebacker force and when Derek Derek went down you know, I think we definitely utilized that a lot, started to utilize it a lot more, but it's something that had been working in the works through the years, you know, with uh, uh, Cheeto Bay, Ouzier, um, and then Afalabi. And then they were like, well, maybe we should switch Foe and Ryan. Got me up there in the box. It's another guy in there with speed, someone who, who's got to be tough-nosed and and be willing to stick their nose in there and, and, and make it dirty and make it a mess. And, you know, I definitely see that utilization becoming a little more, especially like you asked me if we're seeing more teams do that. Um, I guess the long winded answer I just gave you didn't quite get to it, but I'll short it up now and say, yes. Um, with people trying to spread the field with all these athletes anymore, um, it is, uh, it's proven to be more challenging and you're seeing less of a base package unless you're getting more of the true base looks with, you know, two running backs, a, a tight end or, 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 or 22, different personnel groups that are heavier, then you'd have probably more of a base and a heavier look to follow that. But now, you know, you got these, these tight ends who are really more just like big receivers and who are, are putting in some work at the end of the line, but then you got to go cover them. So being able to have that speed to cover, maybe someone who is a, you know, big safety, a small linebacker who can, who can track and follow it, it plays to your advantage, certainly. And it adds a lot of diversity to your defense, certainly, yeah. What are the days like for a college football player following a win like the Buffaloes just had versus kind of comparing that to what they've been dealing with, you know, those previous five games before the bye week? You're talking about days after or the night of? <laughs> yeah, I mean, night of, then <laughs> yeah. going into Sunday, um, Monday, Tuesday. Right, yeah. does, it, does the – I mean, at some point you obviously have to kind of put it in the past, but – even showing even showing up on a Tuesday, I would imagine it feels better putting on your pads, right? I mean, it's only human nature. It does. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, um, imagine like getting uh, an A or an A on a test. You know, you're little, you're confident. Okay, you you have some some film now to put behind you and say, okay, you guys know what you're doing. You can you can back it up. So you're looking for you're looking for your two P, right? But it, each battle, the battle isn't won. You know, on game day. It's one throughout the week in your preparation. So the only thing that they had to keep in mind through the positivity, probably the overwhelming positivity they had through the weekend um, and coming in on, on Monday and, and Tuesday is being able to buckle down and focus on what's in front of them so they can have that preparation done to win at the end of the week. Now, I, each period gets easier when you're winning. I'm talking about in practice, that is, each period gets easier. It's not as grueling, not as daunting. You know, um, the film film itself, like, yeah, there's always stuff to clean up, but there's a lot more good things, you know, and you get you get praises, you know, you get your good boys, you get your attaboys, right? You get less uh, butt rippings or what were you thinking here, son? You know, 
certainly uplifting, but you got to remember to, to, okay, you got to lock it in. Let's, let's buckle down so that, you know, we can take care of everything this week so we can go out and fight on Saturday. And then you guys can feel the same way when we come back next week and we're doing more at a boys, you know, more kudos, big hits, Captain Crunch Wars or takeaways, you know, just got to buckle in, but it's certainly uplifting. And conversely, I mean, when those losses are mounting, it's probably an extra weight that you're feeling, right? I mean, Josh Chandler Samito said after the game, it felt like a kind of a monkey off the back. Of um, that that probably makes you play a little tighter, I would imagine. Yeah, certainly. You feel, feel like you don't want to mess up. And for for young kids, younger guys in the program, um, it can be harder for them to to have the one playing clear. Um, and that's something that we've kind of talked about um, throughout my entire uh, football career is that whether it's a good play or it's a bad play, you have to you get you, it's one play, move to the next one, one playing clear. Um, can't dwell on the past, good and bad. Now, you the, the 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 positive things give you confidence to continue to go and move through it. But if you can't clear yourself and you made a negative play or you had a negative weekend, right? And you guys lost poor buffs had, had about five of them. So um, you can, that that's all like surmounting to more pressure. And if they can't clear it and get rid of it, then they're, they're going to be out there and you're not gonna be able to tell if, if they're timid or they don't know what they're doing. Timid because they don't want to mess up and they want to, they want to make a play or don't know what they're doing because they're scared and their, their brain scattered and they can't think. Um, and in the past weeks, uh, I had felt a little bit like I couldn't tell the difference. Now this last weekend was definitely, uh, a good example of where I didn't see, I didn't see the, I can't tell if you're timid or you don't know what you're doing. You know, if you make a mistake, make it a hundred miles an hour, see what can happen. Now the Buffs are set to travel out to Corvallis to take on a very competitive Oregon State team. Uh, you know, p- if people listening haven't been paying close attention to the Pac-12, uh, this is a, a well-coached team by Jonathan mm-hmm. Smith, and it's going to be really tough in that environment. It sounds like it's going to be possibly raining throughout the game. Uh, a different challenge that they face this week, like you said at the top, Cal is. I would call them a mediocre college football program that, you know, they're, they're capable of showing up to any game. Like you mentioned early in the season, they went off to mm-hmm. Notre Dame and put in a fight. That's a, a program with quite a few players, but this is going to be a different challenge for Colorado traveling out there to Oregon state. What are the keys you think for this team to take all that momentum they gained in Folsom field last week on the road out, out to Corvallis? You can ride the high into it, but you got to be controlled. You know, that's not that's going to be a team that is uh, almost took down USC, you know, just barely lost there at the end. It's going to be a team that plays strong historically in Corvallis. Yeah, that uh, chainsaw sound always yeah. through the stadium. You're like, oh, my Lord. Um, so if you don't want to hear that, then you better be in your film book. You know, um, they're not going to come over, come out there and, and lay an egg. I would be shocked to say the least, if that's what happened. So they need to have their their three main things to take to, to control on offense, defense, keep them under 27 points probably, 
um, if they can um, under eliminate big plays, like maybe only give them three over like 20 um, and control the line of scrimmage. That's something they're going to have to do. And then offensively, they're going to need big plays and they're going to need to eliminate turnovers. And uh, they're going to also need to control the line of scrimmage um, with that defensive front up there. They're going to be, they're going to be coming for it for sure. So I, you know, on the coaching staff, they know this as well. They're going to have to have um, their game plans marked up and set, but then also be able to be uh, malleable and adjust to what they're seeing, what they're, what they're given. That's what a lot of football is. is it's, it's all chess. Go out there and you have your first 20 plays scripted. Um, see what they're going to do to certain looks. And then as the game progresses, that's when they keep, they run that similar look, but instead of the guy doing a, a comeback, he's doing an out and up or he's, you know, giving a sluggo or, or, or whatever. He's going to give you the similar, similar look, but there's going to be a move off of it. So discipline and takeaways on both sides. It's either taking the ball or holding on to the ball and everyone making sure they have their keys and their mark set. Both football teams dealing with quarterback injuries. Uh, we're not sure who's going to start at quarterback for both teams. We're recording this Tuesday afternoon for Colorado. Owen McCown is going to be a game time decision. According to Sanford, JT Shrout made a few nice throws there to help mm-hmm. win the game. I would be anxious to see him start a game in better conditions and who knows, maybe it'll be raining just like it was uh, for his start at air force up there in Corvallis as well. But I, I felt like, we still haven't gotten a full sample size of JT Shroud. We we saw what Brennan Lewis can and can't do through 13 starts with JT Shroud in the opener. He's thrown in there and not ideal situations. It's week two, it's miserable conditions at Air Force. Week three at Minnesota, they're rotating yeah. quarterbacks every series. Mm-hmm. I, I agree that Owen McCown gives his team the best chance to, to win if he's healthy, but if Shroud's out there. I am curious to see what he can do. And and I do hope for his sake that the weather's not too bad. I just want to see a, a decent weather game yeah. with him. I, yeah. He struggles with touch. That That's the biggest complaint I have about him as a quarterback. Some of those throws, he doesn't really. Are you, are not, you, are you seeing more struggle there on the long ball or uh, maybe the short unders or both? Or, it's yeah. almost like he's skipping rocks out there the way he throws the ball. And so when it's not a perfect, when it's not a perfect throw, it doesn't give the receiver any ability to, to adjust to it because it's firing in there so fast. That That's the biggest concern I have with him. Obviously, he's willing to take some chances. I have less of an issue with that because we saw Brennan Lewis for 13 starts not take any chances, and it didn't uh, result in, in many points for the Buffs. So, yeah. fortunately, Deion Smith was able to, to bounce back pretty quickly after a real scare in the game on Saturday. Have you ever had uh, – a scare like that. I know you had the moped accident off the field, but uh, in terms of a football game, have you ever experienced a teammate going down like that? Um, yeah, Tedrick Thompson in uh in 2015. UCLA game, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Over to, overtime. Um came in to hit and if I could recall correctly, well it was in this it was in the north end zone, or like like the, the 30 on the on the north end of the field on the opposing sideline kind of over on that side there and I, I i remember i think he he went to hit and he caught a knee in the temple and he was out 
that can set you back. Um, there's a lot of things that go through your mind when you come back. Um, you know, you're used to playing really hard and you're coming in, smack somebody or you're coming in to do your job and accidents happen. But, uh, you know, I talked about one playing clear, something like that can can make it, it can be hard to to let go of to get that confidence back, to go ahead and stick your nose back in there again. Um, I've seen guys um, not Tedrick, um, though, that have those injuries and and and. You know, even after my accident, I was, I voiced my opinions of how I was scared to get my head in there again. And at some point you just, you got to do it. And, uh, it just, it will happen and you'll just get it in there. And then you're like, Oh, okay. Got that one out of the way. And then you're, you're back into the swing of things. Um, now I hope that, uh, they, they don't speed up a process for old Smith there. I don't think they will. The staff had never done that to us before. Um, but you know, you, it's scary and it's real, it's a real big deal. You know, we saw how many, a couple weeks ago with Tua, he had the first one stumbling on the field and then playing the Bengals, a f- former buff, Josh Tupo slings him down, skips his dome off of the, off the turf. It was, what was it, like four or five days in between the games? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, you don't, you don't hope that you don't know that's going to happen. You don't know it's not though either. Um, so if Tua was really ready to be back and he was good, then good. Um, and it was just unfortunate. So I just think uh, for a young man like that, maybe having him, uh, maybe having him sit out isn't the worst, worst thing. Yeah. It will definitely produce longevity for the guy moving forward. And, uh, it gives like offered all and Hankerson and some other guys, maybe some, some time to get some experience in, in his absence. Doesn't mean he's not going to have carries when he gets back and we all want to get back out there and go back to war. So it's hard to sit back and not play even when you think you're fine, but you know, you have a whole life to live after football as well. No question. We got some questions from fans. We got a question from Trevmont 28. He asked about, some of the moves on defense. We've already kind of gone over that. I'm curious, Ryan, they said that when Gerald Chapman took over as the interim DC, Uh he made these tweaks and they basically learned this in 10 days, but they simplified things as well. It it seems crazy to me that you can go in with the same defensive personnel they had that ranked dead last out of power five programs and scoring defense, couldn't stop anybody. In 10 days, you implement changes. They they learn these changes. They adopt it. And we see the product that we did on the field on Saturday, just giving up 35 rushing yards to Cal. Can you explain better than I just did there you know, how that's possible? Yeah. You know, um, when you're struggling, you think, well, you wonder why. And you try and think about all possible scenarios. And you know, I had said you can't tell the difference between someone who's timid and, and someone who doesn't know what's going on. With uh, with programs like this and such, you, you nine times out of ten, I would say the issue isn't being timid. It's not knowing your assignment. So easy answer, simplify. Let's simplify it. Um, and, you know, uh, we had seen some of the – plays earlier on and, and, and maybe guys, you know, were in a three tech and they should have been more of a five technique or like a six, seven, like pushed out more. 
Um, I think a guy like Terrence Lang, like I had mentioned, um, doesn't seem to be have been producing inside. So try him standing up on the outside. Doesn't maybe this is all stuff that they had been practicing before, but uh, the coaches who were responsible for making those calls were too blinded by what they wanted to do versus what was smarter, you know, in the role. Um, star in your role is something you all got to do. And sometimes we're in a position, we play a position, you get moved in uh, to the interior part of the line or you pulled out and you don't like it, but um, it puts you in a better chance for success. So these coaches on both sides of the ball had been around. It's not like this is the beginning of the season. They went through fall camp. Um, and this is the first time that I have the field out the the team out there. They have been working with these guys for, for a while now. So I would venture to bet that the coaches had those that stepped in had opportunities and already had been putting stuff together in their mind of where they think guys and probably putting offers on the table where they think they should move people. And those can get hushed um, because the coordinators or who the powers that be don't believe the same thing or they're not as open to letting the staff around them that they have assembled do their job. Um, so I think the short answer is that they had some of this worked out beforehand and hadn't had the opportunity to. And if that's the case, then I also believe that uh, they they simplified and they became more aggressive. They probably and they implemented way more blitzes on defense and moved guys around. They gave them opportunities to win in space and put them in positions to win. You know, I can only imagine what they were doing in the film room too. And like keys in emotions. Okay. This guy comes over here, you know, it's all going to, it will change, but knowing how to handle when someone shifts or motions or when someone steps out, you know, and you're wherever you are, you have to be able to handle it. And they looked like they knew what they were doing. So Ellie Buff asked, what can be done to improve the offense? Yeah, as much improvement as we saw out of the defense from their fifth game to their sixth game, the offense was still mis-executing a lot of the time. Uh, some untimely penalties in there. You know, mm-hmm. first play of the game, Daniel Arias drops w- would have been a touchdown. He had another drop early in the game. Uh, Mike Sanford said that the energy was so great for the defense, but maybe that resulted in a step down in terms of execution on offense. I, I know the easy thing to do is to criticize play calling, but even in those first five games, there were a lot of plays out there to be had. It, for me, it comes down to an execution issue with these guys. Uh-huh. I, I think that's been more of the issue than it, yeah. it just feels like week to week. These guys are put in a, in a spot to score more points than they have been. Right. No missed, missed opportunities. That's that's something that no team can have any best best team in the world, Alabama or USC or Tom Brady for crying out loud. You miss opportunities. You it makes it harder for them to want to come back with with a play for you to to, you know, bring the ball in to make that catch. You know, okay, fine. Get your drop out in the beginning of the game, I guess. (laughs) But when it comes down to it and you keep going through the season, if, you know, big, big plays are, are being are being missed offense, defense, it's going to make it harder for the coach to be able to, to keep you out there. You know, um, the only, they, they can only do everything as far as the preparation and 
the play calling and adjustments moving forward or moving up up to that point. But it's up to the individual for to have that focus. And you know, there there can be multiple reasons as to why maybe they didn't have that focus um, earlier in the season. Maybe part of that was the coaching. Negativity begets more negativity, in my in my opinion. And I see situations where maybe the negativity um, was affecting the ability to execute on on game day and even in practice. You know, if they're dropping balls on game day, you know they're dropping balls in practice, right? If they're if they're having these all these uh, penalties on offense, holding uh, false starts, you name it silly execution mistakes you know what's happening in practice right practice makes permanent and that's something that we learned too and that's something that if they can hone in and and, and take down on on the penalty yardage there and and those free opportunities for the other team to advance the ball or move you back you have a better chance to win and the same thing for holding on to the football catching the football intercepting the football stripping the football and the other thing that comes to mind is target number one because Montana Lamonius Craig was targeted eight times on Saturday and he had eight receptions and he's a guy that had kind of a bit role through the first five games. And we've been waiting for him to break out because we've Uh heard about his potential since he got on campus. When you have a receiver that can win those 50, 50 balls, that is such a valuable tool for your offense. I don't feel like they've utilized him enough or RJ Snead who transferred in from Baylor led Baylor in receiving yards two years ago was their second leading receiver last year. He had a slow start to the season because of a foot injury, which he suffered in the spring showcase. But as long as he can handle more of a workload, the low-hanging fruit is to go after Daniel Arias at this point. But you've got a guy on your sideline in R.J. Snead that's played very little this year that's proven it at this level. So I think targeting Lamonis Craig more and getting R.J. Snead more involved are a couple other things that I would do with this offense going forward. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna they're gonna they're gonna continue to get Arius in there and give him opportunities. It just might be, might be spread out a little more um, and more opportunities might be given first to other, other guys who one haven't maybe had them or who have started to have more of them and have shown and have shown the execution each and every time for them. As you said, Lamonius Craig, this last game that can also stir up competition between the guys. And healthy competition that is to 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 step up and do better okay we understand like you had a bad game too uh we're homeboys are over here they're pulling it together they're pulling it in they're ready they're chomping at the bit next guy up right i don't think this will be the last we see of of arius um but i i would i would think that maybe we would see more targets going elsewhere until you know, we see more production of the of the targets he does get. Uh, it doesn't mean he's not going to get the ball. He's going to get the ball. Um, but you can't just keep going back um, and not trying other things out. And I, I think, you know, we if we see this, the coaching staff sees this. NY Ski Bum asked, beyond the transfer issue, where are the admins slash 80 slash donors falling short? Mm. Well, kind of including the transfer issue here is from an administrative standpoint, the president, the chancellor, and the AD need to get on the same page here. You have the president talking about how he's committed to fixing some of the 
issues with bringing second and third year guys in from the transfer portal. But then you have Phil DeStefano at a press conference saying that's never going to change. And then you've got the AD saying that it's not as big an issue as the media is making out. So I've had enough coaches at CU explain this issue to me, and it's a real issue. And the president seems to accept that it is and, and seems to at least be saying the right things as far as that goes. So yeah. th- those three guys need to get on the same page with that. I um, agree. The other thing that would really help going forward, and I've mentioned this before, is a collective with NIL, not necessarily for recruiting high school athletes, because you're still probably going to be recruiting those those high three-star kids more so than the blue chippers in this new environment. I mean, you're just not going to com- be competing with the blue bloods in the, this NIL space right now, but you need to have a collective in place for keeping the guys that have emerged in this program around. You know, we've we started to see a lot of true freshmen make a lot of plays. Owen McCown, Jordan Tyson, Van Wells is starting at center as a true freshman. Anthony Hankerson's coming on. You need an incentive to keep these guys in Boulder going forward. And certainly yes, if, you the do. Next, if the next head coach has the charisma, like we see Mike Sanford have right now, maybe if they keep winning games, he'll have a chance for it. Could it could be Sanford or, that, you know, any of the number of these other guys who are dealing with yeah. this. If these guys believe in the head coach, that helps a great deal. But I think yeah. having an extra incentive on there, uh, we've seen Washington State have a state of play NIL collective. And I, and I get that Rick George can't be the one publicly drumming up excitement for this collective. It's got to be done more behind the scenes. But he's been too hesitant to adopt some of the, the, the NIL collectives that we've seen nationally. And I get maybe he thinks that that's going to cut into other donations into the program, but you better evolve in 2022 if you're an athletic director. And Rick George has been very slow to do that. So uh, that's one other area. Is there any area you felt like as a player at CU that, you know, the support was kind of falling short? Well, it's a business. It's a business now. I remember when it wasn't exactly fair previously to to get fined or get in trouble with the clearinghouse and NCAA because you took a gift that was maybe a notebook or a pen. It's, it's completely different from when we played, I think, as far as, you know, guys being able to be compensated. My opinion was back in the day was why don't you just double or triple the stipend for the scholarship guys and then give the old stipend number to the walk-ons that way you're making some money, you can stay and everything else. But I think you guys are hitting the, 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 the head of the hammer on the nail on that one where you need to do something to 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 hope to retain these guys, these guys from 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 transferring or they're just all going to get some get some clout and get some uh, offers or ideas to go get money elsewhere. And then CU is going to sit there and we're going to keep turning the same wheel, beating the same horse, going after the same ideal of insanity. And it's not going to happen. So it's a little hard, I think. Um, talk about how it used to be just because the landscape is completely different now. Uh, But I have had conversations with donors who aren't being treated very well by the alumni association or, you know, the university and they're not being used. They want to be a part of it, but they're just kind of being like, they've been a part of it for a while too. And they're just not being included. Um, a couple of them had just recently gotten 
athletes when they've had them time like year after year after year consistently and have given their time and their money and their effort into the program. I think that the the university, the ADs, they could do a better job of trying to churn up more support from the donors they have and keep the donors they have. You don't just have donors because there's someone's walking down the street and is like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you 20 bucks like to the Salvation Army. These are alumni. These are people who want to give money and they want to they want to give it to the football program. Why don't you want to use utilize that? I don't understand that part. Hopefully Ryan, you, were, get it figured out. you were born a, a few years, years too early. You could have at least gotten some pre-sync burgers or something out, out of out of your time at CU. Had hey, you been born a little bit. Yeah, hey, I probably would have done something with a tattoo parlor. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Ugly Rat asked, have you heard any rumors of who they are looking at for the new coach? So they're still in the discovery phase and researching uh-huh. guys at this point. It hasn't gotten to the point of uh, formal no, interviews. No. A couple, a couple names of- I have seen is uh, Brian Harson out of Auburn. Isn't that right? He's been rumored. I would be really surprised. The uh, the guy that continually stands out with this opening is Bronco Mendenhall, and then Jeff Grimes as well, who we've we've discussed on a previous podcast. Those are the two names that just consistently come up. Now we're not in Rick George's head, and he plays it close to the vest, so we'll see. Mike Sanford. It's too early to really say that he's a legit candidate. What Troy Calhoun? I, I think. If he was going to be CU's head coach, it would have happened back in February of 2020. I think now, that ship is now. Sailed. Air Force is in trouble for. Yeah, I love Ryan Walters. I just I don't see Rick George taking that big of a risk with this hire, given how young Ryan is. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't even think him being a former buff actually helps him in this case because you have seen guys with ties to the program hired and it hasn't worked out all that well. So of course, uh, you know, I think. If we're talking capital and we're talking about what we can afford. I think they're going to keep a close eye on Mike Sanford. A lot of things. There's a lot of time left. They're going to keep looking and have other people uh, interview and, uh, and apply. Certainly they're going to do their due diligence there. I'd hope so at least. Um, but I would think if Mike Sanford can continue to, to show growth and promise, he might be a solid option for them. Someone who, who has been around the team helped bring them up, saying everything continues to escalate in the right direction. You know, there's going to be some learning pains in there too, but he'd be someone they can afford. And uh, he's someone who is, has been with the team and the, the, the team knows him, they trust him. And it wouldn't be like a whole new staff coming back in and then things getting shaken up all over. Well, okay. They bring in a whole nother new coach. Who's he going to bring with him? Is he going to bring an OC? Is he going to bring other position coaches? Is he going to bring a weightlifting coach, you know, defensive coaches? Um, and then, then these kids are learning another, another, uh, program or another scheme. You know, if we want to talk, we talked about simplicity earlier, we could maybe apply the same here with the head coach and give an opportunity to someone who has proven to, to earn it now very early. And we'll see. Mike Sanford, the last two weeks has been exactly what I think you'd want the next head coach at CU to be in terms of charisma and bringing energy and a youthful enthusiasm in there, but he's got to keep winning football games because you can't sell the, uh, Mike Sanford hired unless they probably win four games under his watch, go four and three under him, which is going to be tough given that you've got USC Oregon this week at Oregon Utah. State in Utah. So 
But if he can, if he can go four and three, not that I have a vote in this thing, but uh, I would heavily. <laughs> if we could, you know. And, and folks might say that's a lazy hire, but for for Rick George, but I, I'm saying only if they go four and three. And this is after taking over what's considered to be the worst Power Five program in the country it's, against it's a tough schedule. No easy task. No easy task, certainly. And like I was saying, you know, time will tell. Um, it's up to him and, and and how he decides to govern moving forward the rest of the season. And, um, you know, how much, how much belief, attitude, effort, charisma, all the tangibles, all the things that these guys can control, how much of that he can recruit out of these guys and his staff and his players will determine, you know, obviously the outcome of the season. Everyone thinks it's so easy, but sometimes it's a lot harder than it looks, but you know, rooting for them best for him. And hopefully he can, he can make it happen and improve to the team, to these boys and the university and the fans that we, we can trust him. And, you know, maybe then we need him. I've covered a lot of head coaches at CU, even the interims of all those interim or permanent head coaches. I've never seen somebody that has a, a genuine quality the way that Mike Sanford does. So yeah, uh, yeah I, sometimes I like to take my journalist hat off and just say, I'm rooting for that guy. So yeah, I, I hope yeah. things go well for him in these next few weeks. Well, Sh- you know, and, uh, to that point too, sorry to cut you off. It, you spend so much time around your your staff and your your players. You got to be able to relate to them, and you got to be they got to be able to you know see you as a person and see you not see you and like fear you or be like oh hell like he's coming back around here like God. like so that it goes a long way it does. Some people can try to muster up energy, but it's not infectious. Mike Sanford has that quality when. He's around you. You just feel better about everything. And so hopefully he continues to, to have success. Shine DeBuff asked, Ryan, do you have any memorable stories from the 2016 season? I take an entire podcast of just the ups and downs of that season. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. I'd start by watching all the, the rise videos. <laughs> you know, that's that's a walk down memory lane right there. Um, you know what I remember the you know the the wins, um, you know, the tough fight games aside, I remember um the strength of like t- uh, teammates and relationships we had and the camaraderie. Um that's something that it it was so strong, so thick. Everyone was with everybody and everybody was friends with everybody. And um you ha- it's such a great feeling, but you know, I guess if I have to talk about some games, um, I would say UCLA from 2016 was, uh, was a memorable one. Um, not because it was a, a, wasn't a blowout by any means, but it was probably the chippiest game <laughs> I have ever played. You know, UCLA likes to come out with a lot of attitude, a lot of swagger, you know, like, we're LA, right? You know, we play in the Rose Bowl. Like, you shouldn't even be out here with us. And um, it's kind of like certain position groups like to talk more than others. Um, <laughs> some teams like to talk more than others. And uh, man, that game got chippy. That game got so chippy. Um, but hit him in the mouth, shut him up. I remember I I had a, a good hit on the sideline, and the game had been you know uh, building up the whole time all the energy um people twisting ankles people punching you know it was 
not saying I was doing that by any means, but you know, like it was just, it was a dirty game. It was nasty out there. And I smoked this receiver on the sideline and right in front of our bench. And I couldn't help it. It's not like I thought like I need to do this. You just go <laughs> flex. I got a penalty. Uh, and I remember Mac, Mac yanked me out, cussed me out. And, um, <laughs> He had some choice words for me. Makes sense because they got a they got a you know some good yardage out of that. Um, but I also remember getting put back in because you know defense needed me. Um, we needed everybody out there, every play, everybody. Um, man, yeah, that's just that one really does stick in my head. And then of course the Pac-12 South Championship. What a game that was! I know there's a little bit of a controversy between rick gamboa and i for who caused one of the fumbles but i certainly caused multiple that game so i don't know what he's talking about <laughs> and you can't talk about the season without talking about oregon i mean that was Oof. really the the start mm-hmm. of something special i felt like oh yeah yeah no montez came out and he just came gunning he was firing on all cylinders had a great uh, plan around you know the, the, the offensive whew. Oh, defense was amazing. Come on. But, uh, you know, the offensive players, they really, you know, they broke out. I, I saw some highlights recently from Devin Ross that he put on um, uh, from that game. And I just like I couldn't I couldn't re- just wrap my head around all the talent that we had, you know, between Bryce Brobo. He had two top five catches in one game. We were talking about that on Saturday. The, yeah, it was a different type of catch from Montana, but just how close it was to not being a touchdown was similar because I mean, it was, you pretty much had to stop the video with Bryce Bowe's one handed catch to call that a touchdown. He's running, has to jump like backhand it and get his feet. Oh, nasty, 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 man. Oh yeah. That was a great one too. Did you have a lot of runs with Phil Lindsay in practice as a defensive guy? He never really turned it off. Did he? His intensity. You know, what you see on game day is what you get every day with Phil. I I can always appreciate that, his consistency. And uh, he would chirp. That man would chirp. But he was always going to run behind his pads and back it up. He wasn't scared of a fight, man. I, all the respect in the world for for Phil. And, you know, yeah, of course we had our, we had our battles, you know. Um, not too often did, did we get to go live. Um, but whenever we could like fit up in a hole, like I knew he was going to, he was going to come to fit up hard and I was going to do the same. And, you know, we weren't going to the ground, but it's every day, you know, you have to practice letting people know you're there being assertive. Um, and then that translates to game day. And so I think, you know, that mentality of how we practice like that all the time is, is certainly why, or certainly a huge part of our success when we were winning in that season. Shine DeBuff also asked if you've ever spoken with current walk-on running back Charlie Offerdahl. He wanted to know what fans don't realize about the walk-on program and then also said being someone who has also had an accident that led to cognitive and physical issues, I just wanted to say that I hope your recovery from the moped accident is behind you and that you're doing well. We did talk about that over the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, What is something that fans don't realize about the the walk-on program? You're working every day. It's not that the scholarship players aren't working either, but um, there's a certain chip on your shoulder and um, a level of respect. You have to come in and you got to earn. You have to give it, but you have to earn it. 
I remember I just, oh my gosh, not knowing how things worked, not knowing what's going on. First fall camp, um, like rolled my ankle um, bad enough. There's a high ankle sprain. Uh, and I like chipped a bone in my ankle as well. Um, that then obviously didn't need surgery, but I didn't know what I needed to do. Didn't know about, you know, the, the team processes and, and everything else. And um, I show up to practice the next day. My ankle is purple. And it's huge. And, it's, and I'm like, oh, okay, so what am I doing? They're like, well, go get ready for practice. And I was like, I can't look at this thing. And they're like, well, you didn't come into treatment. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, you are right about that. I also didn't know, but the, there's no room for excuses. And there's no room to, to have a sick day. There's no room to miss a practice. So you got to go out there and you got to go show up and, and there's no slowing down. There's no slowing down. Um, the road less traveled is, is definitely associated with walk-ons. Um, but you know, they get, and we, as I like to rep the walk-on life, um, you take a, a beating, you take a pounding, um, you know, and you got to keep getting back up. You got to keep giving it, you know, and then, and then you start getting there. You, you start getting respect from your teammates. You know, you start, uh, start getting more, more time. Maybe you're moving up in the depth chart. You know, um, I haven't yet spoken to Charlie offered all, um, but I am, am working on reaching out to him. I have talked to Trevor Woods some, um, you know, having some outreach to those kids because, you know, I, I remember when I came in, I was a walk on um, Michael Marquez. He's is a name of a, an alumni who will always stick out. And I'm forever grateful for him because he offered up his mentorship to anyone that wanted it. And I was the only one that took it up because he was a former walk on. Right. And he understands. And, uh, you know, you just anytime you can pour into someone else who is in a similar situation to you and give them the advice to, to keep, to keep pounding and keep moving forward. I think it, it's, it's huge. And um, it, it means a lot when it comes from someone who's experienced that in their past. Um, walk-ons are a different breed, man, different breed. No, no less of an athlete than anyone else out there. They just have to try 10 times harder. You don't ever have to question the love of the game with those guys. I mean, that's no, not at all. But when you were a, you were put on scholarship your second year, right? So you were just a walk on for one year. Is that correct? Uh, redshirted, and then fourteen. I played. I started the last two games fourteen as a walk on, and then I was on scholarship in okay. fifteen. Yeah. Did you get all the perks? Now the now they're allowed to have all, oh, the man, and all that I, stuff. Oh man! Oh god! Yeah. I forgot about all that stuff. Yeah. Back in the day, you guys actually had to even pay for your meals, right? Yep. So if you if you if you lived on campus, then they took that money um, for your 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 meals that you would eat at the C four C or the dining halls, um, and they would allow you to use those to eat uh, with the team. Once you lived off campus, not a thing. Jeez. Um, you can, you, you cannot eat with the team. It was a, uh, a violation. This is where we start getting into the NCAA just being like, mm. <laughs> um, couldn't eat scholarship players were like, this is effed up. So they would start getting you to go boxes and give you food. And then there was snack. They could give us a, some, uh, snack a certain time of day. 
is as the years progress, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I may, I may not give you the timeline, but it gets better as I got older. Um, then they, so they, so they give you snack um, and eat for, even for the guys who lived off campus, you could have a bagel, but you couldn't have cream cheese for your bagel. You could just have butter. You could have peanut butter. That was it. Like what? That's an <laughs> extra benefit. Um, and then after that, it was, well, well, oh, then it was, okay, now you can have cream cheese. And then, the, and then it was like, okay, now we have snack every day. And it's not just for football because it was just for football. And then they were like, snack, now you can have snack every day. But it's for all athletes. And all athletes um, across all the athletics at CU could have snack. And they could have cream cheese with their bagel. Yeah. And then finally. Imagine, imagine a bunch of suits sitting in a room talking about uh, whether or not cream cheese is, is going to be a uh, violation. Those, the, the, the poor uh, staff, you know, can't don't shoot the messenger, but they got shot. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? You know, we're out. We're, we're, we're we have to do all this stuff. But the best thing I can hope for is a, is a protein shake from the weight room. And then uh, depending on the timing for what practice was right, where we missed lunch at whatever student eating center there was, weren't getting any more money. And then they finally were like, oh, okay, well, we'll give, uh, you can get four swipes a week up to $44 total to eat off campus. And I was like, thank you. That could, you know, again, we work so hard and we're up for so long and we burn so many calories. That could be, that could be one and a half. That could be two meals, maybe. And then finally it was, okay, walk-ons can eat with the football team and they didn't have to, didn't have to worry about stealing food, whatever. And then finally, by the time my senior was senior year was there in 2017, uh, all athletes got to eat. They just let go of it. So you're just hurting us for the longest. Like I said, you just got born too early, right? Holy crap. Yeah. I would love to burger from the sink. (laughs) All right, Ryan. Well, like I said, the Buffs are heading out to Corvallis this weekend. It was uh, fun chatting with you. Uh, yeah. Hey, I appreciate it. It's really been fun talking with you. And uh, I appreciate the questions that uh, you had lined up for us today, too. It, it, it's fun to talk about. It's always fun to talk about a win with the Buffs. All right, Ryan. Appreciate you and appreciate every CU fan out there for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back with a new podcast soon. Yeah, brother. Thank you. <laughs>